it's the show the establishment warned you about. And thank you for joining us today. This is the Dr. Tommy Show live from Wesley Chapel featuring the most listened to concierge medicine morning show. I know, I know. The most listened to concierge medicine morning show in the entire contiguous United States. There's one up in Alaska, which apparently is more listened to. So oh. I have to say contiguous <laughs> United States. So there's a there's a there's a very popular Alaskan uh, concierge medicine cor- uh, morning show. So I have to use that disclaimer. Uh, joined but always with uh, my wife Tracy. Good morning. Who is our vice president of operations and vice president of everything else that I don't do, and it's a two man show here, uh, meaning Tracy as a. Using the general term, it used to be acceptable to say man when you're referring to women and men. Now we have to say man and woman because that's what we have to do now. But anyway, so it's a two-person operation, and uh, we are proud to use Atlas MD to help us with this two-person operation uh, do what we do because otherwise it would be completely a catastrophe if we had to use the other type of um, EMR that you're probably used to, which is with all these click boxes and all this other stuff. So if you want to cut to the chase, Get an EMR that also functions to bill patients, also functions to message with patients, also functions to send prescriptions, also functions to do everything that you need to do all in one package for one flat fee. Go to AskDrTommy.com and click on Special Offer for Atlas MD, and then you too can be off and flying within uh, minutes and get 60 days free. And today we're joined and from a uh, with a special guest. This is Dr. Kevin Wakazi from. Uh, this great state of Texas. Kevin, good morning. How are you, sir? Hey, good morning. I'm great, Tommy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for coming on. And uh, we know each other uh, first through Twitter, where I am at Tampa Direct Care, and you're at what? I am HCONomics. HC Healthcare Economics. Tell us, tell us about what your, what your strategy is. We talked about it yesterday, but what is your goal in life, so to speak, from this standpoint of educating? Well, uh, I think that you know, healthcare and health insurance are two of the most misunderstood industries in the United States today. I mean, it's pretty obvious. Patients don't understand healthcare. They don't understand health insurance. Uh, our practices are a testament to that. Um, and I think that the fix for the healthcare dilemma, what I call the great American healthcare dilemma, the fix involves not so much doctors, not certainly not Congress, certainly not the health insurance or healthcare industries themselves. I think the fix involves people. It involves patients understanding that with high deductible plans now, they have some serious purchasing power. And I often say that if you have a two or a three or a five thousand dollar deductible, congratulations, you're a consumer. So they just need to start acting on it. Uh, and you've probably seen some of my tweets. I say that you know we do have a free market in healthcare. You just aren't acting on it. You just don't realize it as patients. And I think once tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands and perhaps millions of patients start realizing this. We'll see a takeover, we'll see a return to normal, if you will, whereby it's patients, physicians, there's no third party involvement for most of healthcare, which is what needs to happen. And I think that's that's coming. I think the future for healthcare, the future for medical practitioners in particular is very bright. We just gotta hang on and and stick it out until it gets here. So tell us about your practice out there in Texas. Well, I started out, uh, I'm an emergency physician by training. I'm residency trained in emergency medicine and did over 20 years in the ER before I finally found out that 
you know, has really been uh, used, if you will, by the corporate entities to rip people off. I mean, we were charging 2,700 bucks for a sore throat visit, and the game changer for me was the high deductibles. Once I learned that people had these high deductible health insurance plans, which I've always carried one myself, but you know, you could say, I'm a doctor, I don't need the low deductible. Well, once I found out that, you know, people were having to pay for their health care anyway because of the high deductible situation, I heard this stuff going on in the ER setting and I was like, you know, I can beat that. So I started my own clinic four years ago, the Colleyville Medical Clinic. That's colleyvillemed.com. And um, it's been great. Um, initially, I started out doing more of an urgent care type practice, uh, but then I moved into primary care and just taking care of folks with long-term conditions. And then about, about two years ago, I morphed into what we call the concierge plan or concierge practice where people pay me an annual fee and that covers their initial visit and big workup that we do with labs and an EKG and a sit down. I've got a couple coming in later on this afternoon where they're coming in at two o'clock my time, but I'll probably be here till five, just sitting down talking with both these folks and reviewing their labs, et cetera. And then the rest of their visits are free for the year. I don't charge any visit fees and I'm on call 24 seven. And uh, I've got right at about 92 patients now that I've, that I've uh, got signed up, including this couple that's coming in today. I'm looking for about 200 to 250 patients that will so, fill out my census. So why why is it then that you're this doctor, you're this, you know, for us in the doctor world, these ER doctors are the rich guys, right? They're the ones that get paid all this money. So why in the world would this rich ER doctor quit when he's making all this money to go out and start a practice where he's uh, then having to work and work and work to build up and, like you said, basically explain – uh, it's like a left-handed person living in a right-handed world. Explain what the hell is going on. How? Why can you see me without insurance? I don't even understand. So why did you do that? Well, so emergency medicine, I have to say, was pretty unsatisfying for me after the first few years of practice, and not from the from the practice standpoint so much as from the the world of corporate medicine. I think that that what we all now as physicians experience is corporate medicine. I think it got its start with emergency medicine way back when in the 70s. Um, and that just kind of grew and it took over. And so I've never, uh, I, let me just tell you this, I don't know what I've ever billed a single patient uh, in the ER setting other than what my bosses and my corporate owners and paymasters have told me. And so I knew all this going on, and I, I got pretty active with an organization called the American Academy of Emergency Medicine back in the late 90s. I was a founding mem member of that group, and uh, I got pretty active with them, formed the Texas chapter. It really went nowhere, and I decided that doctors, you know, for lack of a better term, for the, the reason that doctors are taken advantage of is because they let themselves be taken advantage of. There's some fault with the doctors, otherwise not. And I'm getting off topic here. I apologize. But basically the bottom line is, I was very dissatisfied with emergency medicine. And then the volume never goes down. I mean, the patients keep piling through the door with, with non-emergency conditions. You know, at first that was kind of fun to treat and stuff, but uh, as the pressure mounted, and then what really got me was the, the press gaining thing, the patient satisfaction scores. Uh, that whole game just really got to me because I figured, hey, listen, if you're qualified to judge me, you would be a doctor, but they're giving me A's and B's and C's and D's and F's on these report cards. And I just said, okay, enough's enough. And then I started in the freestanding uh, ER world, which we have those in Texas. I know that every we state doesn't have them, but they're, they're kind of, a, uh, from a practice standpoint, they're, they're heaven on earth for emergency uh, staff, emergency room staff people, because you don't see that many patients. The volume is very low, the pay is very good. 
But here's what happened. For the first time in my career, I could see and hear what was going on at the front desk. Mm -hmm. And I could hear, like I said, like we talked about the other day, I could hear these uh, folks being told that we have a $3,000 deductible that you have not met, but you know, your copay today is only 50 bucks. And they would come in, they'd be thrilled, they would get in and out within 30 minutes with a prescription in hand for their whatever. But then I got to see them a few weeks later when they started coming back and they were screaming about the $2,700 they had been billed for this sore throat visit. And I heard that and I just put it together in my mind and I said, you know, I can beat that. I can do that. I can be my own boss. I can treat people the way I want to be, the way I want to treat them. I, I can form relationships with folks. And, and so here we are. And I love it. It's, it's, I wouldn't do anything else. What about uh, the, the business of doing what you're doing? How, what have you learned uh, recently? You, you talked about marketing, you know, marketing is a, something that you don't have to do in the insurance world. You just open your doors and then they send them in from the network because you're the closest one to their donut shop or whatever. That's right. You know, that's something that a lot of people don't even mention. And I, I haven't even really covered this in Twitter is that uh, the one of the advantages of being in the health insurance network is you have instant marketing. You have an instant marketing team. You have that preferred provider directory that sends you patients because lots of people are looking for new appointments. And isn't it funny? I, I just want to say this. Isn't it funny that I'll bet none of your listeners or viewers would tolerate some third-party company telling them you can't put anchovies on your pizza? And nobody would tolerate that. Everybody would be like, what? Who are you to tell me what I can and can't do with my anchovies? Mm -hmm. And yet almost everyone of your viewers and listeners will say, well, my insurance company said I couldn't see my doctor anymore. Right. Now that's crazy. I mean, that's nuts. Right. So to get back to your question, um, the, the challenges here have been very significant as far as marketing this and convincing people that I present a real value to them. Um, most folks don't understand the concept of paying directly for their health care. In fact, I have a genius story. I know I told it to you, but I'll repeat it really quickly. It's on my video podcast, but I was at a concert a few years ago and a woman asked me what I did and I told her and she goes, wow, you're genius. And I said, I'm not genius. I mean, what I'm doing is like every other business in the U.S. I mean, I provide a service and you pay me for it. There's nothing genius about that. But what is genius? is the idea that you think what I'm doing is genius, that, mm -hmm. that what I'm doing as far as being paid for my service is abnormal. That is genius, and that's a, that's a construct with the health insurance industry. So fighting that mindset, I think you'll agree, has been extraordinarily difficult. And I would say, without being too politically incorrect, it's, it's like selling sand to Saudi Arabians. They, right. they don't see a need for it. They got all the sand they need with their comfy little world. So trying to sell folks this stuff is often met with a incredulity and even downright, you know, um, one of my tweets I put up the other night, I said, um, uh, and this actually happened. I mean, this actually happened. This is a true story. A patient came in and back when I was doing urgent care and my clerk said, well, the visit today would be $99. And the patient said, yeah, but uh, you don't take my health insurance. So I'm just going to go to the ER. Why would I pay you 99 bucks when I can just go to the ER? For 50. And she had his insurance card and she said, well, your ER copay is $250. And he said, yeah, but they take my health insurance. Right. Tracy, what, what do you think what do you is, do? how far off are we from be, be, being able to make the right, I don't know, pitch necessarily, but, you know, cut through the subterfuge and be able to identify those people that we need to be talking to and those we don't. What do you think? Well, I think our patients, are, I mean, our patients obviously understand what we're doing, but it's still difficult. Our to, current patients. Our current patients, yes, they all understand it. I mean, I was just speaking to new patients this morning and they just switched to a high deductible plan, which, you know, obviously makes sense, lower premium. And that's how most of our patients are now. They understand the need to just get the high deductible plan 
have a lower premium, pay less out of their pocket. Yeah, and then the other thing is these patients, the new patients, are business owners. Most of them are you business know, owners, and they yeah, and yeah. we obviously are. Um, we're convenient for them because they can come in, be seen, not have to wait. Um, you know, two hours to be seen, and they enjoy the the sit down and the quality time we can give them. There's no question. And, you know, this is something that I recognized when I was working in the freestanding emergency room world was that there's two main problems with healthcare right now. There's the accessibility and the customer service aspect, which, you know, you got to wait for three days to get an appointment. Then you got to wait for three hours and see the doctor or their assistant for five and a half minutes if you're lucky. Uh, so there's a customer service aspect. And that freestanding emergency room model goes a long ways towards solving that because, you know, you get right in, you get right out, you get seen, you get this, this care. It's, that's great. But the other aspect of, of uh, healthcare that is lacking these days is affordability. And where the freestanding emergency rooms take up for the customer service uh, lacking aspect, they absolutely kill in the opposite extreme, the affordability part. So what I'm aiming to do with the, with the uh, concierge medicine practice is combine the best of both worlds where I have extreme affordability. I mean, my, my services, I charge 1500 bucks a year to belong to my practice and you get a discount if you have family involved. That's not much more than a cable bill to have me on call 24 uh, seven. It's very advantageous as, as I'm sure you all know as well. But yeah, the, the, teaching people this has been a real challenge, very I've, challenging. I've always, come back to, get it. I've always come back to the cost thing about saying, uh, if you look at the people who pay for executive health physicals, for instance, they'll pay upwards of three to $5,000 for an executive health physical and one they, time, can, one they time can get executive yeah, health yeah. all year for less. That's right. No, I, I agree completely. And and companies, you know, that's that's an untapped market that is very difficult to get into is these self-employed businesses and small businesses who are just getting killed on their health insurance costs, trying to keep up with these, you know, $500 deductibles for their employees. And I make a, a joke, I tweet about this as well. How much does Starbucks spend on health insurance? More than it spends on coffee. Right. Now, that's a problem. When, when these employers are paying out the nose for this, they should be teaming up with these direct patient care practices and concierge practices like we run. They would, ex they would have an extreme benefit from doing that. But again, it's, it's going against the norm. It's going against what they already know to be true. And I, I call the American addiction to health insurance the biggest case of Stockholm syndrome in world history. I mean, people hate it, but they right. just can't get away from it. It's very tough. That's a very good analogy. I mean, people, I think about teachers, uh, teachers, public school teachers who are employed by the government, yet rail against the, uh, the situation they're in because they lack funding. Well, who's, the, who's to blame for that? Your employer. But don't, you know, then they go out and they ask the employer, which is the government, to help them. I mean, how are you going to ask the person who's already made your life miserable to help you more? Does that make any sense? Well, you know, one of, one of the things I've done is uh, not just focused on health care, but I focus on health insurance as well. I was a health insurance agent for a couple of years. I'm now an ex-health insurance agent. I never sold one policy. But I did it just so I could get my bona fides and my credentials and become an expert in that field. And um, I, every year on my blog, I write a, a post about teachers, the Texas teachers and their health insurance plan through the Teachers Retirement System of Texas, which is a quasi-governmental agency and which rips these people off like you would not believe and they fall for it every year. Um, I, I asked the question, would you ever pay $3,200 in extra premiums to upgrade to the gold plan from the bronze just to take 1500 off your deductible? In other words, would you put 3,200 bucks in a slot machine and pay you back 1500 no. if you win? 
46,000 Texas teachers did that in 2015. And they're all being fooled by this idea of you know better coverage, more, more coverage equals better. And, and it's just crazy. It's a crazy world out there. And I'm just, I'm like you, I'm trying to knock some people in the head and tell them, hey, listen, you got to change the way you think. I like you, have you, have you heard the good news? Like the guy in The Sopranos, Janice's boyfriend keeps falling asleep. Mm -hmm. Have you heard the good news? Anyway, well, thanks you for sharing the good news, Dr. Wakazi. Tell us how to get in touch with you, how to follow you and all that stuff. Uh, my blog is healthcareonomics.com. I'm very active on Twitter. That's HCONomics. I have a, a video podcast that's on YouTube. I have a YouTube channel. But you can also get to the video podcast on my blog. I have a SoundCloud uh, uh, account as well. And um, I have uh, the clinic. It's colleagueville.med.com. Okay, colleagueville.med.com. And that's a concierge practice in Texas. Yes, sir. Well, thanks for joining us. It's good to talk to you. I'll talk to you again later, and we'll see each other on Twitter. Appreciate it. Thanks. Right. See you. And that's Dr. Kevin Wakazi out of Texas. If you want to see some interesting stuff, go on Twitter, and you'll see all kinds of stuff. But you can actually get some pretty quick um, news, really. I think Twitter gets the news faster out than anybody. Now, it may not always be the right news, but also you can follow you know, the latest happenings. And that's how I met Dr. Rokesi. So uh, furthermore, today, you know, today we are in, from Tampa. So we're broadcasting from Tampa. And I don't know if you've been following the news, but there has been a serial killer on the loose in Tampa. And he has apparently possibly been apprehended as of today. Yes, it was. It was. Yes, yesterday afternoon. He supposedly I mean, it sounds like he turned himself in at a McDonald's. Yeah. So to give a little background. There was a serial killer. They called him a serial killer because there's been now four unsolved homicides taking place in Seminole Heights, which is a section of Tampa. And what would happen is this, these people would be walking around and this uh, apparent uh, thin, is by the by the footage, looked like a, a thin black man would walk up and not see him, but he was seen running from the these when these shootings take place he had to capture them on cameras i'm not even sure what these cameras are but anyway a thin black man was a description eventually of who the shooter was and then today we learned on the way into work that what the guy well, basically he, said hey here hold this bag don't look in it though well yes he went into mcdonald's and um, told a friend that he needed to get out of town hold my bag and apparently inside this bag was um a gun and also, I don't know, something maybe it ordered from McDonald's. And he said he was going to go to Amscott and get some money. And then, um, so he left. And then, of course, this friend, there was a police officer actually in the McDonald's, according to the news report. Mm -hmm. And he showed the police officer. And then um, when this gentleman came back, the police officer questioned him, asked to look in his car. And anyway, so they've arrested him now. Um, but he is, you know, he has asked for uh, a lawyer. And he is, from what I've heard, claiming his innocence. So, you know, I was talking to one of our patients this morning, and granted, this is all speculation, but he felt that maybe the guy was, if this is the killer, that he's just tired of being under the pressure of knowing that they're looking for him. And he wanted to kind of turn him, he, he didn't want to turn himself in, but he wanted to get caught. They say sometimes criminals try to want to get caught. Well, it's hard, obviously, to know what's going on in this man's mind if he indeed is the serial killer. But if he but, did want to get caught, why would he then ask for lawyers? Yes, why would he ask for lawyers? Uh, you know, the, it doesn't make sense to me. Why would he just? Why would he not just call the police and say, "Come to my home, I'm surrendering," or just go to the police station mm -hmm. and say, "I'm surrendering"? Or maybe he wanted to be in public. Maybe he was afraid he was going to get shot. Yeah, maybe he was afraid that they were going to shoot him. 
like as soon as we walked in. I don't know. It's an interesting thing. We'll be be interesting to see what pans out in the next few days. And really, I mean, this this man, it does his profile does not. Yeah, so he's obviously. I mean, he's a college educated. Um, no history of I don't know that we heard he, any history of any criminal activity. Nothing. He has no criminal background. Apparently, he played. He was a walk-on for basketball at um, yeah basketball at college. And um, I don't know. Just to me, he looks. He sounds like a nice guy. But apparently, you know, I guess well, we'll find out. Well, yeah, I wanted I printed out something that I didn't bring it out here unless we brought it. No, I don't, anyway, I back in the it. you know twenty seven years ago, there was a rash of murders in Gainesville. There was a serial killer in Gainesville. And for those of you who are not familiar, Gainesville, Florida is at the home or the home of where the town where University of Florida is. So some of these students were University of Florida students. I think some of them were, and some of them were other students. Maybe one, <laughs> some of them weren't students. But anyway, they were all young people who were murdered, murdered, and most of the time in their homes. And in the whole city was in a panic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, for for a while, the police were looking at this suspect. And his name was uh, Ed Humphrey. And Ed Humphrey was a guy who was kind of, uh, he had some scars on his face. And I think there were some um, uh, reports that the, the, the killer had scars on his face. And this guy, too, also had a uh, strange behavior. He had been arrested recently for assaulting his grandmother. So when they finally arrested him, there was a lot of relief, as you could understand, that the murderer had finally been caught. And also... Uh, a lot of publicity. Well, while they were trying to, you know, basically say, I think they arrested him for the the his, his grandmother's assault. I think is what it was, not for the murders. Okay. But they were trying to build the case on the murder. While that was happening, the real killer, who was later identified as Danny Rowling, was identified and arrested, and subsequently he was executed in 2006. But it just goes to show that when there's a lot of interest in finding a suspect like we saw making a murderer mm-hmm. you know with Stephen everything on uh, Netflix that you know sometimes you have to be careful you know maybe this guy probably we talked to one of our uh, people that we know as an attorney and she said you know 99% of people who get arrested did it but there's the 1% that didn't mm-hmm. and it'd be interesting to see what pans out with this because if the guy really <clears throat> did that it's, it's, it's like you said it's bizarre to just say, oh here's a here's a bag don't look in it right i and mean i'm gonna be scott in case the cops <clears throat> and they did find you know of course he had the gun and uh, the gun fits the description of what was used at the uh, crime and scene. he let them search his car he where they found clothes and supposedly they think that there's a um, probability that there was blood found in the vehicle as well uh-huh very strange. Well, anyway, I don't know. If, if hopefully he is the killer, and he's hopefully so off the streets, and will soon be dealt with uh, with the swift justice. But if uh, let, me, let me just, I mean, I don't understand. So let's say he is the killer, and um, he wanted to get out of town, like he tells this, you know, right. friend. Why not just leave the gun in the car? Or and, as, as our patient said, throw it in the river. He's he he lives in the Ebor. Apparently, he can throw it in the river. He worked at this McDonald's on Ebor, I believe. Yeah, so, you know, it doesn't make sense. So I am I can't wait to hear what happened. But hopefully he is the, the guy. All right. Anyway, so anyway, right now he has not came forth and said he is he is the one. Yeah. He hasn't, he hasn't tested or whatever they call it. Confessed. He has not confessed. Uh, there's he's also, lawyered up. So. Also, new news we heard on the way in is Matt Lauer. Uh, from uh, today's show fame. I did not hear about this. Oh, you didn't we hear We came it. separately, remember? Aha. Matt Lauer has joined the ranks 
of the sexual perverts. <gasps> Matt Lauer, really? And uh, uh, other erstwhile uh, freaks of Hollywood and Congress. Oh, so what's he being accused of? He was apparently accused of inappropriate sexual behavior by one person. A co-worker? Uh-huh. And uh, was uh, fired. Read on the news, uh, read on air that he was uh, fired as of today. Really? I did and not hear that. He Gosh, has, how long has he been? They said 20 years they had never heard anything about this. But then they said, but this is all, granted, this is stuff I heard on the radio. And it said that the NBC had reason to believe that it was true because of other corroborating evidence. Really? So Matt Lauer has joined the ranks of the huh. sexual perverts and uh, freaks of Congress and Hollywood to go along with who? Uh, Harvey Weinstein, uh, John Conyers. Uh, they say Roy Moore did, but then they said that uh, Roy Moore is uh, running for Senate, but then he said that's a lie. And that they're claiming that happened I don't 30 know, years yeah, ago. Yeah, 30 years ago. Well, I am. But, what do you think about that for Matt Lauer? Do you think it's true? Hard to tell, isn't it? No, I mean, they aren't quick. I mean, look, look at Al Franken's another one. Mm -hmm. Al Franken, this guy's been shown on camera goofing around, grabbing someone's boobs. And mm -hmm. then there's accusations that he's also done other stuff that's worse than that. Okay. He's still in Senate. Now, granted, it's the Senate and, um, and, and you know, NBC's different, but I think they're all the same, really. There's an old saying that politics, politics is Hollywood for the ugly. And so people who would otherwise like the attention of cameras and things that are too ugly for Hollywood or can't sing or, or, or tell stupid jokes, they go into politics. So they say politics is Hollywood for the ugly. Anyway, the way the reason I say this is because Al Franken has been shown on camera doing things that mm -hmm. are, you know, would be embarrassing to a senator. He's still there. Matt Lauer, they just. So he's Matt Lauer has been canned. He's gone. Then even have like. You know, we're suspending Matt. Matt's going on vacation. They might not have that fund set aside, though, like they do. For oh, yeah. They may not have the Senate. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what about that? Well, the, yeah. So the Matt Lauer, unfortunately, does not work for a company that has funds set aside to get him out of jail or get him, you and know, pay, pay off. About. Tell him what you're talking about. Well, the fund they have set up to pay for um, in Congress in Congress to pay for um, basically to pay people off 20, to keep them shut years up. years now it's been mm -hmm. going on where they have... At one point, it was over a million dollars, I believe, or close to a million dollars. Right. This congressional, you're, you guys pay for it, actually, not them. They don't pitch in and like, it's not like a, uh, a sick, sick leave <coughs> pool or anything like that. It's not the sexual pervert pool for uh, to pay off um, people who sue you. It's a congressional fund that you guys as taxpayers, you send your money to Washington whenever you get paid every two weeks. And uh, they take some of that money of yours and they put in a little pool. And then one of one of their buddies goes out, sexual perverts, mm -hmm. and either does something where they get sued or, or somehow or another, it, you know, this just to pay the people off so that they don't then make a bigger deal. Off, so they give them some cash. And then they go away until the next person comes along. Right. And they so anyway, yeah, so Matt Lauer did not have access. Maybe, maybe that's one of the things we're going to learn from this is that Hollywood needs to do like their congressional brethren brethren, and set up a slush fund to pay off uh, people who sue the sexual perverts among them who mm -hmm. commit crimes or otherwise uh, embarrass themselves or assault other people sexually mm -hmm. or whatever. That's a good idea. So if mm -hmm. you're listening, guys, that's what you should do out there in Hollywood. 
set up a fund so that if you one of your buddies your producer you say you're say you're going to be working you're going to be doing this movie you're going to be on with harvey weinstein harvey weinstein's going to produce your new movie and then harvey weinstein uh, uh tries to rape somebody well this fund would help pay for them so it's like an insurance policy for you guys you might want to think about that anyway uh what else is going on uh, new coach at uf dan mullen's been hired yep Mrs. Old Mississippi coach, right? Old Mississippi State coach. He is hired now, and he is going to be coaching the University of Florida again. He was the coach during the years of Tim Tebow, 06 to 08. He's and waiting until the season's over, right? He'll come in fresh when the new season starts? Uh, well, he'll probably come in right now. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think. I don't know. It's hard to say. Sometimes when coaches get hired after the regular season, they stay for the bowl game with their other team, but sometimes it, they leave. And I think it's probably – it may be best just to leave. I feel like they should finish out the season. Well, I got I, with their players. Yeah, it depends. I know when uh, Saban's hired or had his people hired away, except for Lane Kiffin, who he fired. Uh, Lane Kiffin <clears throat> was a co offensive coordinator at Alabama. He got hired to be the coach at FAU in Florida, and then he was going to stay on as offensive coordinator. But in the last week of his employment at University of Alabama, was running his mouth about how how bad how much it sucked at <coughs> Alabama. Excuse so me. then Saban fired him. But Saban has a history of keeping people around for the bowl game. But I guess it depends. So do you think this new coach is going to do good things? He's a proven coach. He's a proven able to uh, live and work in um, uh, Gainesville without. Uh, accusing people of giving him death threats, which may have happened, but he wasn't. Apparently, Jim McElwain was not able to produce evidence that he did indeed receive death threats, and therefore they cut down his buyout. But Steve, Jim McElwain's still getting paid $7.5 million to go away. I know, it's nice. Isn't That's it? better than being divorced from like Tom Cruise. You know, maybe it's a nice not as salary. good, but it's close to being as good as being divorced from a Hollywood person. Anyway, he's getting paid $7.5 million, and we're just now. I think we still have one more payment to pay for uh, um, Muschamp, who was fired a few years ago and was paid to walk away. You know, uh, hell, we may still be paying for um, what's his name, Charlie Charlie Tuna uh, uh, Weiss, Charlie Weiss. Charlie Weiss had the distinction of being fired uh, from several teams and still being paid. Like I think when we hired Charlie Weiss, this was back when Muschamp started. He was still being paid as head coach from Notre Dame when they fired him. Well, is it because they signed such long contracts? I tell you what. I mean, the, why can't they make these contracts short? Because, why do they have to give them five, six, seven-year contracts? Because what they say is recruits will not sign up with a coach unless they think that coach is going to be there the whole time. So it's in the best interest of the university to make it look like, hey, this guy's going to be here. He's recruiting you now. Don't worry. He's going to be your coach forever. And it's the market. And um, well, four years seems reasonable. I mean, that's how yeah. long they're going to be at college. I guess you know, four years. But I, they get longer contracts than that. Heck, they get. I think Charlie Weiss, when he got fired, I I think it was like for ten years he got a contract I, extension, and then within one year, I think he was fired. Yeah. See, that doesn't make any sense to me. He was fired, and that's the other thing is that's almost like a death knell. You know whose contract was extended this year? I don't know. Jim McElwain's. Oh. Jim McElwain's contract was extended this year, 2017. That same year, he gets fired. Um, and the other reason they extend these contracts and give them raises is to try to protect them. Mm -hmm. 
but it's so hot and cold with these these I mean one thing is almost assured that if you get a contract extension uh, you're either going to uh, win the national championship or be fired within a couple of years it's like a it's like a binary thing it's like if they extended Nick Saban's contract today probably he'll win another national championship but if you pick some other guy and say hey you know what uh, like for instance Charlie Strong here at USF Charlie Strong has been here at USF welcome Charlie coach Strong Anyway, Charlie Strong, former <laughs> defensive coordinator Excuse at UF, me. has been here uh, for at USF for less than a year. Mm-hmm. He's been here for one season. So far, they've had a very good season. Granted, they had a good season last year uh, with Willie Taggart. But anyway, so Charlie Strong has coached a good year. I would not be shocked to see that Charlie Strong gets a contract extension at the end of this year. And guess what he'll probably do? What do you think his contract is right now? Oh, I don't know. I know that the going rate for SEC coach is around $7 million. That's unreal. You know who was the first million-dollar coach? Who? Steve Spurrier. Huh. Back in the early 90s. Steve Spurrier is one of the first million-dollar coaches. Anyway, if Charlie Strong gets a uh, contract extension this year, I'd hate to see what happens. He'll probably get fired. Hopefully not. Uh, We have some news coming up. Five years we're going to be in, what, January? Well, incorporation is December. Right. Uh, In January is when we will start the... Year six, right? Yes, the beginning of year six, December to you know two thousand twelve is when mm-hmm. right. It was yeah, I incorporate. Uh, so <laughs> December of twenty. Okay, so January of twenty eighteen. We'll be, be going into year the beginning. Six. Yes, year six. And um, Madison was just saying, our daughter, your my stepdaughter, your daughter, mm-hmm. seventeen years old, and she was saying she remembers when Echelon Health was nothing more than a background on my computer. Yes, she just said that last night, didn't she? A logo. Mm-hmm. And so I designed a new background today, and there's a special reason why, but we're not going to reveal that till next week. But yes, we'll I designed wait. a new background so to celebrate going, or not a new background, a new logo. So to celebrate going into year six, we have some big news coming up, but we can't let the bat, cat out of the bag yet. Are we going to? And do it's shots not that any of us have been sued for sexual perversion, huh? I said we're going to do shots to the celebration or no. anything fun. No, because we are non-drinkers. <laughs> that almost sounds funny. I am not, and I do not consume alcohol. Neither do you. Neither, no, I don't either. As of how long? Oh, it's been probably sixty days, I would think. And thirty hours, or and five, five hours, five hours, four minutes. seconds. Um, no, I don't know. What? I think it's probably what is today's date? Eleven twenty-nine. Okay, so I believe as of yesterday, it, w- it was probably sixty days. 60 days sober. So that means... No drink, nothing. We haven't drank anything. No wine. And that was done for various different reasons, but we've stuck to it. Nothing to do with any sexual stuff. Nobody's been sued. No. I am not of congressional or Hollywood uh, level where I would, where you, where we would be forced Mm -hmm. to do that because of uh, sexual perversion like our Hollywood brethren and congressional brethren do. So we're not sexual perverts here like they are in Hollywood or Congress, but it did stop <clears throat> drinking alcohol. And initially it was hard and uh, not hard. Initially? What do you mean? Still hard. It's, it's hard on occasion for me. Not like every day hard, but like. Well, you know, I have to say a lot of people are social drinkers. You know, yeah. you get around your friends, you mm-hmm. want to have a beer or a glass of wine. And that's been, you know, so a couple of times I've been with my girlfriends who are having a drink mm-hmm. and I'm like, uh, ice water with lemon, please. Yeah. You know, Double lemon. And you said that I look younger. Yes, I think you do. 
Now, and I talked to my sister and she said that she has watched <clears throat> videos of, uh, you know, twins. Uh-huh. And one is a drinker, one is a smoker, and one is not. And they look completely different. The one that drinks and smokes looks a lot older than his twin brother mm-hmm. or twin sister. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I do think that you are you look um, younger. Hmm. I don't know. Maybe. You look the same to me. You still look, but you look younger than you are anyway. Well, well that's I what I mean. That. I don't know. I think I'm going to need. You still get carded sometimes, <laughs> right? I do. I mean. How old are you? Tell them how old you are. 42. I thought you were going to say something different. Well, I am 30 <laughs> 12, for the 12th year. I, that's what I do say. 39, right? Yes, you are younger than me. 39. But the big 4 is going to be next March. Big 4 Hell, I remember when my dad was like 42. I remember when my mother turned 40. Oh, you said she cried. Yes, I remember. My mother does not do birthdays well. I think birthdays should be fun. Mm-hmm. But my mother feels differently. And I remember walking into my mom's house when she turned 40. And she was sitting in um, her good living room, you know, that no one touches anything. You just kind of mm-hmm. sit in there and look around. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was sitting in this living room and um, she was sobbing about her 40th birthday. <laughs> and I just was like, what the heck, mom? When I turned 42 years ago, my daughter's birthday, my 17-year-old's is in July. Kaylee's is in August. You know, ours are, and mine's in August. And I had a big party and rented a blow-up water slide <laughs> and had an awesome time. But my mother was very, yeah, sprained my ankle really bad. My girlfriend, Angela, hurt her knee. I think it still hurts to this day. But anyway, I had an awesome time for my 40th. But my mom was, um, she was sad. And this year when she turned, I think my mom turned 59. Mm-hmm. She, my father wanted to throw her a party. And my mom was like, "Throw no you go ahead, have a party, but I will not be there. No thanks. She wasn't interested. Speaking of parties, we had our Thanksgiving uh, Fit Club party. <laughs> that was fun. <laughs> and uh, for uh, our Fit Club members, instead of working out, we did a little meal time. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'll have Fit Club again tomorrow. For those of you interested in joining us, it's at 6, 5.30 p.m. Mm-hmm. Monday and Thursday here at Echelon Health. And we will be... Um, it's 45 minutes long 45 outside. Minutes. The weather is gorgeous for it. There's no excuse right now. Yeah. It's too hot. It's too hot. If you're hot. among the 2% of the population who likes to exercise, then join us. If you're the 98% that don't, then do whatever you do on Come. your normal day. Yeah. Anyway, it, Fit Clubs, it's tough, but it, you know, it is a good workout. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, this is the Dr. Tommy Show. Audio, video available, iTunes and YouTube. Also across all the different MP or uh, podcast spectrum. Uh, thank you to Dr. Kevin Wilkese for coming in. Healthcare Onomics. He wrote a book, actually. Uh, follow him at uh, um, follow him online at where he said earlier. And then, if you uh, want to go to our website, go to askdrtommy.com and email us. Go to the bottom of the screen, and you can email us or otherwise contact us. And follow us all over the uh, interwebs, if you will. And this is the song of the week: "Is Deep Purple Smoke on the Water" from Machine Head. And this is the song that I am just now getting back down on guitar after I learned it before, and I'm also teaching Kaylee. So until next time, bye-bye. Oh, my God.